Welcome to another edition of Campus Life, the college half of our Campus to Canton podcast here. As always, I'm Colin, and we will be continuing the C2C strategy series here for this episode. Uh, we're going to be talking freshman and supplemental draft strategies. This will be the last episode of our C2C strategy series. Um, so we had to go out with a bang here. I got brought in a special guest, um, somebody that is, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with several times before, you know, pretty good guy overall. It's uh, Mr. Austin Nace at Debbie Dietz. Uh, he is one of the co-founders of Campus to Canton, one of the hosts of the Debbie Debate podcast. Austin, thanks so much for joining me today, man. Hey, I'm back from my definitely not HR mandated absence. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on. And what you didn't say in the intro, the best damn supplemental drafter that you know. So this, it only makes sense that I'm back on here. Right, on right. I think, but, I, I think I started pretty much all of these off with like, this is the perfect guest. Like I combed through all of the people that I know and I hand selected each person very specifically based on their strengths and naturally had to have you on the supplemental. You had seven people back out, didn't you? I'll tell For you this one? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, those are, you brought it up, but since you brought it up, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. I had I'm a couple you. people. You said nice things about me on the way in. So that was, that yeah. was uh, appreciated. Yeah, but I, I have you. to. You're a guest. I have I've to. missed you. I, I, I know last week I was on a show, a new show that we're doing that's just for our NIL members at C2C. And it's only available if you are in the Discord. We're looking for some other uh, disbursement options there. I, as we talk about in the episode, not to get deep into that, like we are learning everything as we go. Like it's very much like the duck in water approach where above the water, the duck's gliding below the water, the feet are paddling like crazy. So we're trying to figure out like all these other things, you know, can we email it, distribute it, all these other things. So, um, but in the meantime, it's all in there. Uh, I did that show with Felix and Chris and uh, got me, got me missing the microphone again. So I'm uh, glad that I could come back for this one at least. And hopefully this means I'm back, but uh, work, work is dictating that at the moment. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if this is a permanent fixture. Um, because there there is an opening in my, in my co-host uh, chair here, so we'll see if uh, if you make the cut after this episode. I, but I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, before we get into the meat of the show here, this podcast is part of the Fantasy Points Media Group, along with a ton of other great pods. You can follow all of them on Twitter at Fantasy Points Live, or check out the Friday drops that recap the week in the Fantasy Points Media Group. And if you're looking for additional NFL or CFF content, Fantasy Points is a great resource. So head on over there and check their content out. All right, into the show here. The, we'll start off with general strategy, and we'll kind of talk a little bit about each section. You, you asked everybody else like how long they've been playing fantasy football and stuff. I don't get any of that. And we just go straight to the show. I mean, that's that was that was my plan. But sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, before we get into it here, how long have you been playing fantasy football? Thank you, Colin. I think I've been playing oh, fantasy, welcome. if I remember correctly, since sixth grade. So okay. um, what? I'm 30 now, so let's do some backwards math here. I don't know, 15, 16 years? No, further than that. It's been a long time. Um, redraft, and then I found Dynasty 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. uh, then uh, then C2C, we skipped the Debbie, the Debbie part. We went right to C2C. So you don't actually yeah. have to ask me other questions. I just was curious uh, how you know all the other special guests got them, and I didn't, but. I see. I'm, I'm, I'm a guest that just removes special from it. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. You know, special at the beginning may have been a little, uh, <laughs> a, a little grandiose for you, but that's all right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I mean, we our our first dynasty league was, I mean, I'm assuming your first dynasty league was also mine. No, no. no. Uh, so okay. not to, you know, name all these people. I hate when the people, you know, like just, to, these are the people that people have no idea, but are friends right. with us yeah. in real life. Cause we all obviously know each other in real life and did before we started this podcast. Um, mm -hmm. But our friend Colby and I both joined a dynasty league oh. the year before that one with a guy that he worked with, like essentially. Right. And they like needed, he worked at a bank at that time. And then I remember that. Um, and that league um, I have, the last five years just had like an absolute juggernaut that just runs through the regular season. It's a salary cap league. Um, and then it gets to the championship game every year. Just crap, absolutely craps the bed. 
It has like it's <laughs> it's like Mahomes, uh, Kyler Murray, Kelsey, Diggs, Devontae Adams, Deontay Johnson. Like it's it's Nick Chubb. And you know, I'd start one running back, and I've got like it's it's like an absurd. And then every year it gets to the, the championship, and like the Chiefs score three points. So I'm like, well, that was that. There that it was is. Cool. So, um, yeah, it's but that that yeah. So I, I actually it, we did that one for a year, and then we were like, you guys got to try this, and that's what we we did and then we've had our home league for what i guess nine years now yeah that sounds about right yeah and you still haven't won i have not i have had teams similar to what you're describing there and you know you've you know where it's a juggernaut runs through the regular season and then loses in the playoffs and um i think you've made some sort of snide remark about how it doesn't matter how you start how you finish or something along those lines so i have very little sympathy for you in that other league doesn't sound like me, but you know, it could have been, it could have been. All right. Well, into the actual, the actual meat of the show here. Like I said, we'll start off just some general strategy stuff that we'll break down kind of by like early, middle, late rounds. Uh, and then we'll uh, hit up some advice at the end and we'll, we'll, we'll get you out of here. Austin. How's that sound? That sounds great. Let's do it. All right. So in the supplemental draft, um, you know, the, the, these are the, these picks are assets that you can use throughout the regular year, just very similar to rookie drafts. So are you typically somebody who tries to trade for these picks during the year? Do you try to trade them away? Yeah, I think it really depends on the league. And I think what makes supplemental trading supplemental picks different than just in kind of the logic that goes into trading rookie picks. And correct me, like if you don't agree with this or, or feel oh, that, that it's necessarily true uh, good good keep, keep me keep yeah check me <laughs> um is that well first off you typically in these leagues can only trade one year out which i think is good mm. i think there's so little known about three classes from now that it's not necessarily uh prudent to allow people to do uh to make those kind of moves three years out with those kind of picks um but the other the other one is i think c2c leagues uh, as a whole i think really the the strategy is driven by how you do in like the first four to five weeks of the season now obviously you know a team can get hot and can win um down the stretch you know you get in as a six seed but i i really think more even more so than nfl dynasty because of the nature of you know how much uh, roster upheaval there is every offseason that it's pretty critical to identify early in the year if your team is contending or not, and if it's not bottoming it out in terms of CFF assets and acquiring picks. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. And we can talk about that in a minute, but do you, do you generally agree with that? That I think and it's not, I don't think it's that difficult to, to decide that. I mean, you're, you know, Oh, and four, one and five, like start, start sending stuff away. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think it does depend on kind of where your team is at at that point as to whether you trade four or away, but yeah, typically, about like week four, week five is, is in the seat is far enough. It's a short season. The, so you right. kind of have to decide early. Right. You know, week four, week five is far enough into the season where you have a pretty good idea of how your team is going to look for the rest of the year and where you're going to stack up in the standings. Now there's obviously always the, um, you know, my guys were injured at the start of the year and now they're coming back healthy or, my team was a lot of CFF producers who are Mac guys and they're, beginning of their schedule is brutal. You know, I have Kent state players and they're playing Georgia and Oklahoma and Washington to start the year. And then they're going to get hot down the stretch. So you do have to bake that in a little bit, but predominantly how you start is how you're going to finish. So yeah, I do look to, to try to be one of the first teams to market. You know, yeah. I want to set that price. It, it, and that's a really good point. I think setting that price is really, really important. And I think it's, like it's it's hard to contend on an NFL side, you know, because I mean, just everyone here has played NFL Dynasty. Like you just know, you know, any given year what can happen. But I think college, it's just so easy to turn the roster over in one year. So I don't mind blowing up a CFF side. Like I have a team last year that's a sixteen teamer. I got a little unlucky the first couple of weeks. Like I think I went like one and four, and I I had had pretty good scoring weeks a couple of those weeks and still lost. And I was looking at the schedule, had some some tougher opponents coming up, and I was like, ah. I think I'll just get ahead of this. I set the market and I acquired a bunch of extra firsts and seconds. And the guys I shipped off were like, you know, Chase Brown, Tory Horton, um, like guys that are fine, but not guys that like are irreplaceable. And this kind of takes me to my next point. Whereas I, I don't think people value those picks correctly yet. 
I still think there's a large market inefficiency there where people like if they're willing to are trying to compete. I think I think I traded away Chase Brown and Torrey Horton for a first round supplemental pick. And the guy did not end up winning the league. I think it's probably like pick 10 or 11. But that's, you know, that's that's Ruben Owens that I just traded those two for. Like a year from now, would you ever trade Ruben Owens for Chase Brown and Torrey Horton? No, there's no way in hell because that's like a legitimate NFL, you know, hopefully Debbie, like legitimate asset. And I just think that people are like, people are so worried about trading away first round picks on the NFL side and like a regular dynasty, but there's so much more willing to just be like, well, we just don't know anything about this. So this pick is like a mystery. And like, I think the part that it's a mystery is like good. Like, I think that makes it too cheap. And so I think like, I, I love acquiring first and seconds. And I think they're not that difficult to acquire at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it kind of depends on, your there there are some people out there who are pretty savvy with that um you know with the valuation so it's a little bit harder to get something done but odds are somebody in your league is going to either think they're a competitor and they're not and you can get a a, pit, a first or second round pick that ends up being a little earlier than what you know maybe the expectation is at the moment or you know you can take advantage and go after and do what you did you know trade cff guys for somebody who might end up being a devi asset down the line you know, I mean, that we, could also be Jackson Arnold, too. We, we, we tell people all the time, you know, don't trade legitimate Debbie assets for CFF players. And then that's essentially what acquiring like, you know, picks in the first 18 to 24 uh, of the next year's draft is. I mean, obviously, there's some supplemental guys mixed in there. You know, maybe maybe there's a, a Devontae Walker or something hanging out that that'll get selected, too. But I mean, it's like it's it's basically just acquiring a Debbie guy but he you know we don't know who it is yet it'll be a year later and I just think like the value and I like I'm willing to do the opposite and move them as well like knowing full well sometimes that you know maybe this isn't like the best value for me down the stretch but I I'd like to win and so like I yeah I just think it's a huge market inefficiency right now and I think even like sharp players will 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 do it because it's 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 the value of the mystery box I feel like we talk about that so much more now and maybe we're <laughs> learning more about the mystery box, like the value of the mystery box. And it's just, it's so much more in a lot of cases valuable than what people are baking into current costs. Yeah. Cause you are going to miss when you have the mystery box, you're going to open it up and it's, uh, it's going to be, you know, DJU or it's going to be somebody whose value just absolutely tanks. But other times you're going to open that mystery box up and it's going to be, you know, somebody who just rises in value. It's going to be a Drake May. You know, it's going to be somebody along those lines. Um, so you, I, and we, it is something we hear a lot that it is easy to rebuild your college side in one year just using the supplemental draft. And that was something that you just, you know, said that you you, you tend to view that as a way to rebuild very quickly. So how do you go about turning your team around in one year? If you were a bottom of the league team, how do you go from that to the top of the league and competing in just one off season? Yeah. I mean, I think there's always, I don't think your team needs to be bulletproof coming out of the draft, much like an NFL dynasty team or a, a redraft team, or maybe you can attack um, a position of weakness. You know, I always advocate when people ask me, you know, like I want to go buy Nick Chubb. I'm like, don't do it in March. Go do it in September when like, now, okay, now you think your team probably is going to contend and you made it through in, you know training camp and preseason and there's no injuries and you still need a running back. So I don't think your team needs to be bulletproof coming out of the supplemental draft, but it's, it's A, so easy then to go poach some of those players from other people and B, there's so much uncertainty about who is going to be good every year for college fantasy chris moxley talks about it all the time that i think yeah like you can go into these drafts and pull out a like just looking for vacated production places you know like i'm trying to think of a team this this offseason that like lost valuable production that we're that we're thinking you know like the usc running back yep like do we think any of those running backs on that roster right now are like legitimate nfl guys you, i know you like marshawn lloyd but like let's put that aside sure, Marshawn mm -hmm. Lloyd but then you've got like Austin Jones Rayleek Brown the two running backs they brought in this year like we don't really like them that much for NFL purposes but like those are those are all cheap players that you could probably get in a supplemental draft this year outside again 
of Lloyd, who is, you know, maybe the starter, but we don't, we don't really know that for sure. Like, I think there are so many instances of that. Um, we don't like, we got to figure out who the next guy up at Western Kentucky is. Corley's right. still there, right. but who's wide receiver too? Like we, we, we don't really know. Um, there's running backs everywhere. Every off season, Minnesota on. Tajay Spears room. is leaving. Um, so like there, it, there's just so many instances where like, I can go into a draft and just be like, okay, he left. You know, who's, who's running back at Illinois next year. Who's, I think you can kind of like identify those scenarios and build out a team fairly well. And then again, if it doesn't work out, you just snowball into the next year. You just acquire a bunch more picks, you figure it out. And then, you know, eventually you're going to, it's going to work. It just you might not be this year or next year. Take enough bites at the apple and it'll eventually work. Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's really the way you turn around your, your college side in one year is targeting those vacant positions like you were talking about there like i might just mentioned um the minnesota running back room Trey Potts in the portal you know who's going to step up there zach evans he may already be rostered sean tyler might not be rostered you know who transferred in from western michigan um you know just different situations like that and, and, and you know the g5 is always rife with players who are going to be stepping up into good systems in this upcoming year, like Malik Hornsby at Texas, at Texas state. Now, if he, he transfers in from Arkansas, we didn't really know what he was going to be at Arkansas, but I, I don't think anybody really thought he was going to be that valuable of a quarterback. Uh, but he enters in Texas state with um, GJ Kinney. That's a great system. Now, all of a sudden he could be a top, he could be like a QB one or at least a, you know, a QB two for your side for fantasy purposes. And he might even be available. So you've been talking to Ethan Sowers. <laughs> I have not. Has he been mentioning? Uh... Oh, he loves Malik Hornsby. Yeah. He loves Malik Hornsby. Every time he comes <laughs> up in the CFF chat in the Slack, he uh, he's all about it. Yeah. If Ethan Sowers is in your league and you have Malik Hornsby, go rob him for everything he's worth. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I do agree with you, though. I think it is relatively easy to turn your team around within one year and make it a uh, make it a CFF competitor within one year but if you're more devy mindset do you still see the supplemental draft the same way where you can kind of restock in one year or does that take a little bit longer I, the devy pipeline takes a little bit longer I mean, this is why i think when i see people who just treat that roster as a devy pipeline why i tend to think well i don't like i i if i just remembering off the top of my head, all the, the teams in my leagues that do that, like those teams get really, really bad, really, really quick because you can't leverage those CFF players into anything else. Cause you don't have them. Like I just said, you know, they're that league that I had, that I had Horton and, and chase Brown. And there were other ones too. Those are just kind of the names into my mind immediately. Like I picked up extra picks to then leverage into more Debbie players to get more bites at the apple to, to attempt to build up that pipeline. Like if you aren't doing that and you're missing, you know, everyone misses on Debbie players, you know, no one's right. going to go hundred percent on their, their first round picks. You're, you're severely limiting like the assets that you can build up to acquire some of these guys. You're also missing out on large portions of the money because a lot of these leagues are like maximum 60, 40. A lot of them are 50, 50 nowadays. So like, that's why I am very much always like, do not just treat that as a Debbie pipeline because it's, almost impossible to do it in one year to, you know, build up a legitimate pipeline. And in the meantime, you're missing out on a lot of, um, you know, supplemental assets that could help you build that pipeline in other ways. So I, I, I just, I, I strong, like I, there's not a lot of things that like I strongly hold the belief that I could never be convinced otherwise, but you could never convince me that just treating your C2C roster on the campus side as just, a Debbie pipeline is a smart idea. It almost never works out. Yeah, I, I agree. Because like you said, it just limits the amount of assets that you have because even if you do have, you know, a bunch of high-end Debbie assets or at least middle-tier Debbie assets, you know, at, at some point you're going to want to flip those. And what are you going to flip a, you know, even a guy like a Rakeem Jarrett or a Parker Washington who lost like a decent amount of value what are you looking at them for now? Are you going to look to flip them? Do you want to try and start them on your NFL side? Like, I don't know if you're going to end up being able to. So 
they can and lose like, value quickly. The, the, even if these classes are deep and we don't really know what's going to happen, like obviously, you know, we advocated for taking Quinchon Judkins in the first two rounds last year. Like he, was, right. he, he wasn't really going there, but but uh, based on our rankings, he was. But I mean, it's if you're just looking at supplemental, like look at our after round after player 24 in our consensus rankings here at C2C for incoming freshmen, picks 25 through 36. Richard Young, running back, going to Alabama. Hakeem Williams, wide receiver, going to Florida State. Carnell Tate, wide receiver, going to Ohio State. Jeremiah Love, running back, Notre Dame. Caleb Jackson, running back, LSU. Kenny Minchie, quarterback, Notre Dame. Aiden Childs, quarterback, Notre Dame. Jaden Greathouse, wide receiver, Notre Dame. Oh, sorry, Oregon State. Sandwich between two (laughs) Notre Dame guys. It got me. Uh, Jalen Hale, wide receiver, Alabama. Like These are not like players that I feel amazing about in terms of their upside, like there's a lot of situational things that probably aren't great for them, loaded rooms that they're going into, or you know, they have some sort of flaw in their game. I mean, Jaden Greathouse, I love the kid, but like he doesn't move very well and he's like 220 pounds. Like he needs, like it's it, like, it's just kind of weird profiles when you start getting there. So like it's, you can't, you can't just sit here and go, Oh, well I can just get guys in rounds three and four and five I mean, Jeremiah Cobb, uh, Austin Mack, like these, these are not players that I'm like, yep, Debbie, Debbie pipeline, like loading it up. We're doing this thing. Like those are players that like, you, like they're, they're, they're all kind of long shots to be like legitimate NFL guys as much as we like them or feel good about them. Like it's just the the nature of, of doing this. So yeah, I just think it's, it's really, really difficult to do things that way. And why make things more difficult on yourself? Uh, even if you're an amazing evaluator um, by doing it that way. Yeah. I would agree. Uh, that actually transitions pretty nicely into the early rounds here. So, you know, you're talking about those, uh, you know, rounds three through five ish, um, you guys who are a little bit more of a long shots, but how do you approach these early rounds here? I'm knowing you, I'm assuming you target, you tend to target freshmen early over supplemental players. Is that right? Yeah, I think you have to do you, I mean, I'm assuming you do that as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a rare instance where I will take a supplemental player in the first, like, two rounds do you have any examples of that over the past couple years like a guy that sticks out in your mind that you did that with um i mean cam ward was a guy who i think people were targeting early last year and i think that's an example of one that didn't really work out maybe the way that we thought it was going to um this year it really depends on your player pool um but you know this year a Devontae walker could be really good um heading into well, I don't know how available Hendon Hooker was heading into last year, but he if he was available, he would have been a guy. It really depends on your league settings, but there's few and far supplemental what about Joe, guys. What about Joe Milton this year? Joe Milton will be sitting there in, in leagues. Probably. Yeah, he probably will be. I, oh man. I'm not convinced that Joe Milton starts the full year for Tennessee. If he does, I mean, he's probably a QB1, but I'm not convinced that he's a good enough player that he's going to start the full year. That's fair so, enough. I mean, we've we've talked so about it on the show yeah. a lot. Like it's like you look good. We also know Joe Milton. Like you know, yeah. it's 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 kind of tough to differentiate. So I mean, if we're talking strategy, do you want to talk micro or macro? Because I think the micro, I it, it both change a little bit every offseason depending right. on what the player pool is, which I think is one of the more fun and challenging, but like not like it's a fun challenge like it's not like i'm just sitting here like you know reading encyclopedias or something like oh what am i (laughs) like it's like a fun challenge to try to piece together you know this year's class is different than last year's class how am i going to attack it uh as opposed to how i did last year like last year we hated the quarterback class that's why cam ward was going like like you said like very very early like where would cam ward be valued in this quarterback class no better than qb5 right no, yeah, no better than QB five. I think no. probably six. Probably behind, like you wouldn't yeah. go above any of those five guys. No, honestly, I th- I would probably take Nico ahead of Cam Ward yeah, at that point. I would last, too. You know, so yeah, like I so I he like his stock benefited from that. Uh, last year we loved the running back class. Like maybe I wasn't hitting some of the running backs early because I was like, well, I can just go get you know a bunch of these guys later and stash them. And you know, obviously we were correct. Like. Quinchon Judkins, Damian Martinez, Ashton Genty, um, like Andrew Paul was a popular one, you right. know, TBD, the, the injury kind of threw things off there. Um, so this year, like, I think it's a very good wide receiver class. I think the top quarterbacks are really good. And then there's like six running backs I feel really good about. So I'm probably trying to bump up to get two picks in the first round, 
and probably trying to get at least one of those quarterbacks and one of those running backs and then just attacking the wide receiver depth throughout the draft as we go. That's probably going to be like my my general strategy, and obviously it'll change depending on what the league that I'm in and what my roster currently looks like to some extent, but obviously mostly BPA there early. Yeah, I, I kind of follow a similar approach, BPA early, typically freshman heavy as well. It does really depend on me, the, uh, to me, on the strength of that player pool, like you were saying. I think this year, I, I don't have as many... I don't think I have any tier one. I, Cedric Baxter, I think, is my only tier one running back. Um, so he's probably a guy that I'm targeting in the early parts just because I don't feel that great about the other guys. Um, whereas a wide receiver, I have five guys in my tier one. You know, you have five. Who are, mm-hmm. who are you? Do you have Dickie in there too? I do. Mm-hmm. Is that That's the fifth. Okay. Yeah, Dickie's the fifth. I like Dickie a lot. Um, I think especially going to the offense with Will Stein. I think is going to benefit him. I think that Jury on Dickey wide receiver, Oregon. Yes. Yes. Um, With Will Stein, the offensive coordinator there now, formerly of UTSA. um, I think that offense is going to be a little bit more pass happy than what we've seen before. So I think that's going to help boost his CFF numbers. And I think he is just, he has some things he needs to clean up, but from a prototype standpoint, he is a prototypical alpha wide receiver for the NFL. Um, so that's what kind of bumps him up into that top tier. But I have like five tier one wide receivers, one tier one running back. I have four tier one quarterbacks. So, you know, I think this is. You're, uh, such, you're such a sap. You're such a generous grader. <laughs> Overflowing first round grades here. Jeez. Embarrassing. But I will typically target my tier one guys early and then maybe my tier two guys. But then once I get out of my tier one tier two i i i don't really look to freshmen too too much that often so how do you kind of approach that with freshmen do you just do that similarly based on your tiers for that year yeah so the, up a little bit my tiers are a little different than yours i don't have the tiers in front of i have three tier one quarterbacks two tier one running backs and four tier one uh wide receivers so what is that total um nine players I think the exact amount that i had actually i think it's maybe i no, had 10 it, it's not because you had yeah five I had ten so. yeah so yeah yeah um so I, I i think i know what the first round is or what it should be and it sounds like from the drafts that i've been seeing it's correct and it's some combination you know whatever of malachi nelson arch manning um um a dante moore quarterback and then jackson arnold and nico are kind of like floating on the periphery of that then at running back, it's some combination of Cedric Baxter and then like Roderick Robinson, um, uh, Justice Haynes, Ruben Owens kind of floating around the periphery of that. And then a wide receiver, it's Brandon Innes, you know, Ohio State, um, Jurion Dickey, uh, Zachariah Branch and Mikhail Lemon going to USC and then um, uh, Jonte Cook. And I think that's like you're going to be your first round every single time. I can't really think that there would be a lot of supplemental guys floating around that would be worth taking in that range that would that would jump in there so the, your first round should look like that and if any of those guys fall to the second round you should be trading up desperately texting people to try to go up and grab one of them because like that is the the real like pick of this whole crop um the first five four or five rounds i'm probably taking freshmen okay i think there's like <laughs> I will never spend up on a tight end, for instance, or a quarterback in a startup. In a supplemental, I'm much more willing to do it um, because I think some of them tend to be undervalued in these drafts. So like if one of those quarterbacks that I really like is falling, I'll I'll probably move up and be aggressive and try to get one of them. The tight ends, like I I fall in love with Pierce Sperlin. Like it's total like just love, love bro fest over here. Like I'll probably (laughs) be taking him in the like late second, early third round. Um, like I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the first five rounds should be mostly freshmen for you. Again, check your supplemental pool. Make sure that there's no guys floating around out there that shouldn't be there. You know, look through our rankings. If you see a guy like, I don't know. I mean, I think everyone, if you're playing a C2C league and you're going into your second year, you probably know, like, you know, at this point, like you're kind of familiar with the player pool. You should kind of know, or at least know enough to be like that. Should that guy be there? And and asked and we're happy to be like, yeah, like go get them. So um yeah, I think the first five rounds or so should should basically be flat out freshmen almost no matter what. And then I think you start having the debate, you know, 
how good of, of college fantasy options are left how much stashing do i want to do like if i already have a ton of guys that are stashes on my bench maybe i can't afford to stash 10 more wide receivers this year that aren't going to play like that just probably isn't smart roster construction um especially if you don't have unlimited waivers so i think you do have to start taking that into account but the first five rounds yeah it's 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 freshman 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 we're trying to get some upside be aggressive get your guys don't be afraid to reach a little bit if you really like a guy obviously don't go like four rounds early but like if you if you have a guy you like like we're not really sure about any of this right like i'll debate someone on like I, I would take Roderick Robinson over Justice Haynes probably every day in a draft. But I'm not going to sit here and call like Felix has Justice Haynes as his RB1, I think. I think um, so. Like I wouldn't sit here and be like, that's dumb. Like it's not like it's not. I just don't ag- agree with it. But at the end of the day, like if you like Justice more, trade up and go get him and, and, and be aggressive and get your guys because you'll feel so much better. At least I do. Like if I swing a miss and it's like I traded up and I was aggressive and I got my guy and it misses, I at least feel better than like if I would have sat sat there and took a guy I don't like as much, and then that guy misses, then I just feel like, oh, like what could have been? Whereas like the right. other one, I was like, well, at least I tried, and it didn't work out. Um, and and so like that that's that that would kind of be my spiel for the first you know, four to five rounds of your drafts. So if you are a target going to take a supplemental player in those first like four to five rounds here, what does that player's profile look like like what does a supplemental player have to do or look like for you to want to target them early um i think there has to be some level of nfl upside there even if it's not like you know i think he's going to be a first round pick you want to talk about a guy like i would take i was talking with felix about this yesterday like i I, i'm not really a michael Penix nfl guy Mm mm-hmm but he was talking to someone recently and they were like, Oh yeah, Penix is in my supplemental pool. And it's like, well, yeah, like, you know, the second, the second round or whatever, the third round, like you go, go get him. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't wait. Even if I, I think there's like, he's going to play in the NFL, like how long and like, will he actually play? I don't really know, but there has to be some sort of NFL upside for me to take a guy. There are guys that last year that I was taking, you know, maybe in that range, if they were still there, like, Jaron Hall obviously didn't really work out, but he had a really good fantasy season and, and right. he was pretty good. And, you know, I thought, you know, he got to the senior bowl like that. There's there's NFL potential there. It just, you know, I don't think the NFL is going to like him as much as, you know, there was potential to do. So players like that, um, Devontae Walker is a great example this year. Like, I think some of our folks are putting the cart way before the horse on this dude. But. Six three, two hundred pound guys that can have like a forty inch vert and run like a four four, like don't exactly grow on trees. So, and he's going to UNC, like it's a you know it's a power five program. They have a pretty good offense. He's tied to a pretty good quarterback. Like looking at some of those peripheral things, like yeah, that makes sense to take a guy like him there. A guy that's like you know a tiny slot receiver at Colorado State or something like would be like I'd be like he might produce, but the NFL doesn't care. Like he's not going right. to do anything. You probably wouldn't be invited to the combine. And so that's. That's where it's like that guy's I can probably find five more of those guys in round 12. So I'm not going to make that kind of stretch for that guy. So I I hope I dropped enough names there to kind of give an idea of the profile of player that maybe I would be looking at in that range. The other player that jumped to mind for me, it was it was a player from last year, uh, Cedric Tillman. He was available Mm, in a lot of supplemental drafts because he didn't start to pop off until later in the year. that's another player that would fit that profile for me. I don't know what your thoughts that, are. That's a really good one. And like um, the program, I actually, I acquired an extra first last year and the freshman pool is all gone. So like you're, yeah. but, and I took Tillman all like gone. 104 and Jaron Hall like 109. <laughs> and like, those are my two picks that I was like, let's, let's be aggressive here. So yeah, those are the kind of players where I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Gotcha. Um, so moving into the middle rounds then, is there a specific point in the draft where you change your focus um, either from supplemental, from freshman to supplemental, from Devi to CFF assets. I know those are kind of similar, but uh, is there a point where you change your focus? Yeah, I, I think after that fifth round, you know, you start considering and looking what's on the board and what your team needs. You know, the first five rounds, maybe BPA. And after that, maybe you're you're kind of trying to round out the roster based on what's available. Uh, I think it's almost just kind of intuition as to whether you're, like, you know, should I take a CFF guy here? Should I just take like a freshman that like I could stash? Like I, it, it's, it is more like art than science, I think. 
And so it's kind of difficult for me to sit here and tell people, you know, like, oh, you know, this is what you do. And and this is, this is the direction you should go. And once you have, you know, X amount of CFF guys, then you, then you pivot and take a, a stash and then you pivot back. Like, I think all of it is just very roster dependent. It's very dependent on your league mates. It's very dependent on the time of the year you're drafting, like early in the year, maybe I take more Debbie guys because I don't know what depth charts are going to look like later. And then I'm banking on if I'm in one of those leagues that like you get four, which I think is what we're trying to make the standard. Like you get four pickups and you can use them however you want. Maybe I'm saying, okay, I'm going to use those all in the first four weeks of the season. And I'm going to attack, you know, CFF guys that start to step up early that way. So I think it's really dependent on a lot of things that are happening around. And I think you need to consider that. Like if you're drafting there, we have a draft coming up on, on the first that starts. We're both in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an auction. So it's a little different, but the strategy for that, like I don't really attack the CFF guys in that league and it's a 20 teamer. Like there's, you know, the, the depth runs out quick. I'm, I'm taking all, all, you know, Debbie guys for the most part. And then I'll figure out the rest of it when the season starts rolling around. And I think that's, a, I think that's the, the the right approach and the smart approach, not that I pat myself on the back here, but I think that's that's the way you should do it. Yeah, especially early. I would agree yeah. with that. I think if, if you're drafted a little bit later, you know, you're looking June, July, even in August, if that's when your draft is starting, I think at that point, uh, I'm probably looking to round out my roster a little bit more than I am in, in April. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned it does kind of depend on roster construction uh, as far as, you know, what you're looking at in those middle rounds there. Um, do you have any like specific examples here of, you know, situations where my roster really depends is de- driving what I'm looking at here in these middle, you know, rounds like six, seven, eight. Yeah. I think like QB is an, is a position that's like that. Like if I'm in a league that has a fairly healthy quarterback pipeline, you know, maybe I have, you know, Caleb Williams as one of my starters. And then I have, um, let's say I have like him and I have Kyle McCord who has never played. So like he could be bad, but like, you know, we think he's probably going to start at Ohio state and we think he's going to be a good player for them. So like, let's say like, those are your, your probable two starters. And then you've got like Cameron rising, the quarterback at Utah, and you've got another intriguing CFF type option. I might not feel unless I'm starting three or four quarterbacks every week, like I necessarily need to lean in and snag some some you know CFF type or, you know Emily Cornsby or a Curtis Rourke or you know one of those guys that um, that that maybe I'd be a little more aggressive with if I just had you know I take out Caleb Williams I've got Kyle McCord I got Cameron Rising and you know uh, uh, what's like a uh, who's the quarterback at at uh, Syracuse Schrader. Schrader. I was thinking Sanders. Yeah. Schrader. Like if that's my QB room, yeah, I'm probably going to attack it a little harder in the middle rounds. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, I have some leagues this off season that like I had probably seven or eight rosters where I was starting weekly tank Dell, JSN, Josh Downs. Those were my guys last year. I had them almost everywhere. I got to replace all those. Maybe I'm hitting wide receiver a little heavier in the middle rounds, unless I've got some really you know, ready-made options in the chamber sitting on my bench. And, and uh, so like, I think it does have to depend a little bit, obviously, again, you know, you're not just gonna, you know, skip good players because you need a wide receiver, but I think you're, you start looking to fill out your roster a little bit. Cause in a sense, I think the CFF stuff, and we've talked about this on some shows, like with the way things are moving, like is moving more toward like a one-year redraft type thing every year where like things change so much that you kind of just have to adapt year on year on year. So that's, kind of how I think you have to do it based on what your roster currently is. Yeah, I would, I would also agree with that. I think another point is uh, when, when I'm looking at roster construction, especially this is probably a little bit more towards like the later rounds, like the mid to late rounds, maybe like starting around eight or so I'm looking at, okay, how many of these like Debbie assets do I have on my bench that probably not going to produce a lot for me on the college side? But I think there's a shot that they could be worth something in the NFL. So, like, I want them. So, guys like pretty much anybody in the Georgia wide receiver room, um, you know, pre Garrett Riley, you're looking at the the Clemson wide receivers, um, you know, guys like that. If I have a bunch of those types of guys on my bench, where I already have 
these stashes, like these guys are not going to produce for me on the college side. I'm probably looking to target more college producers at that point. So that's another way that roster construction plays a role is I want to make sure that I have enough guys each week that I'm going to be able to start on my college side. How many, how many each position do you kind of want on the bench? I know I it kind it, of is dependent on league and, and things, but say you want to compete, you're trying to compete. Right. How many like legitimate filling guys do you want on your bench? Right. So, I mean, if we're just assuming basic roster structure, so, you know, two essentially start two quarterbacks, one tight end, you know, maybe three wide receivers, two running backs, a couple flex, that kind of a thing. Quarterbacks, I want like f- probably five guys that I feel comfortable starting in pretty much any given week. Um, that fifth guy could be a someone who's a little bit more of a floater where like, I'm probably not going to want to start him, but if I have to in a pinch, like I'm okay with it. Um, tight end, usually like to just two or three guys that I want to start because tight end is, is a position where we don't ever really know who's going to produce year in and year out outside of like the top couple of guys. So I'm probably going to look at them on the waiver wire if I need, if, or trade for one, if I'm a producer, uh, a competitor and I don't have a tight end, I feel great about. But when you're looking at the running back and wide receiver position, I want to have, obviously the dream is to have the, uh, you know, UTSA guys and, that you can start every single week to have the Ohio state wide receivers to have the Washington wide receivers where you can just start them every week, regardless of the matchup doesn't matter. I know I'm going to roll them out there outside of those guys. If I don't have guys like that, like I want a healthy rotation probably like six, seven, eight guys that I feel like I could start any given week based on a matchup. Um, So I do want to, I don't want to have as many, I don't want to call them dead roster spots because they do have value. Some of those Debbie guys, but I don't want to have as many non CFF producers, um, especially as we get a little bit later. So I, cause I do try to compete every single year. I was going to say probably like two at every position. So we're going to, we're going to know his arc this shit. Um, two quarterbacks, two running backs, two <laughs> wide receivers, probably just one tight end. Or even if you don't have a yeah. backup tight end, like it's not that big of a deal. I mean, whatever happens happens, but um, yeah, that's, that's uh, I, I think we're, we're probably pretty close on, on the amount of guys and they're, they're something like they're, you can always go acquire more like, right. you know, just be a trade or whatever. If you, if you really, really need to, there, that, that shouldn't be a huge difficulty for you. Right. And that's when you use some of the next year's supplemental picks. You know, you can use a third, fourth round supplemental pick, go get a guy that is probably only has a year left for you for college producing, but you get, you feel good. Like this is a guy who's going to produce wide receiver one type numbers for me for the rest of the year. Let me go get him and round out the top part of my roster. So that's when I also use the sub picks. One thing that I will say about that, you know, talking about how many of these guys we want on the bench and, you know, what we're kind of doing with some of those roster spots. Um, do not, you shouldn't be stashing future CFF options. And what I mean by that is yeah. like, you know, we're, let's say we're trying to fit you Malachi Corley. This is his last year at Western Kentucky. The slot guy in that offense tends to be the guy that makes that, that, that is the, the target hog. It makes no sense for you in this year's supplemental draft to try to figure out who the second guy on the depth chart is at wide receiver for Western Kentucky and draft him now. You're better right. off either, you know, waiting and using one of your your um, waiver, waiver pickups. pickups on him because it could ch- it could change. Like they could get, you know, it doesn't work out for uh, for for Kendrick Law at Alabama. And he goes to Western Kentucky for whatever reason. That's just the first thing that that's probably never going right. to happen. But that's like, <laughs> and obviously like they're going to tell me that this dude was like a, a one star that like is going to be the guy that plays over him. No, they're going to play the guy that they just brought in. So I think, I think you, you get a couple of those guys and they have to be like active. And then you're not like stashing future CFF options for later. Really like freshmen could be different because freshmen probably maintain their value a little bit longer if they're not playing, you know? Maybe Caden Feig and the running back going to Illinois doesn't really play that much this year, but he's like the freakiest athlete who probably does have some Debbie value. And even if he doesn't play this year, probably doesn't really like that. That's okay. Like, I think there's still CFF value there. So like 
you don't really want to be stashing guys. It's like that guy probably never plays in the NFL, but I think he could be really good for CFF next year. That's really, really risky. And it's a good way to kind of just, you know, waste a bench spot throughout the year and a draft pick and whatever else. Yeah. I, I, another thing, a situation where I would agree with that. If it's a league that has unlimited waiver pickups, you, you can start looking at that in weeks, you know, like 11, 12, the very end of the season, you could start gearing that way. But like we've talked about it, we're kind of shifting our focus on the CFF side to a little bit more redraft than CFF dynasty where, you know, there's so much going on with the transfer portal um, that it's and coaching turnover and, and all of that kind of stuff that it's really hard to get a, a gauge on those rooms more than a little, you know, more than a couple months out and, and feel good about it because heading into the off season, so much can change. So if you want to do that, it's an unlimited waiver league at the end of your season. Sure. But yeah, I completely agree. Do not look to do that in the supplemental draft the year before. You will have, maybe you miss out on the next slot wide receiver at Western Kentucky because somebody else got lucky and, and tried that approach and it, it ended up working out for them. One, not going to work out that often. And two, you can just go get the next slot wide receiver for Texas Tech. You know, go take DeAndre McRae, who transferred up, and you have essentially a, the same guy. So you're not going to miss out that much by waiting think about like trace on pots who you mentioned entered in the portal earlier from right. minnesota like you probably sat on him for like three years because a Muhammad ibrahim would not leave school <laughs> um but b like you just waited and waited and waited and then i think like if i, I think zach evans is better than him and i think sean tyler is too and i think the coaching staff made it known and that's why he transferred out now as opposed to like not two months ago and and not after spring like i think they already kind of so like you probably sat on pots and yeah you got a few meaningful games out of him a couple years ago when ibrahim tore his achilles and missed the, the, the majority of that one season but even then he didn't start all those games either so like you you probably held on to pots you probably held onto a roster spot that roster spot could be used for something else that probably would have you know either been more valuable during that time or was so much less valuable that you could cut it and replace it with something that may, you know, the mystery box again, and then play that game all over again. So I just, it's, you can hold on to guys and feel really good about the situation. And then just something weird happens. And all of a sudden that situation is just not applicable anymore. And pots is just the most recent example that I can think of because it just yeah. happened. Yeah. I think that's a good example there. Uh, so moving into the late rounds, then w this is kind of where you're entering in total stash territory here. Uh, you're not really expecting too much out of these guys you take at the end of your at the end of your draft here. So what are you looking for in a late round freshman that you're going to draft like a late round freshman you want to stash? Yeah, um, I think athletic upside is the top thing. I that's 95% of my answer. Then I'm also if it's not going to be a guy that's just like an athletic freak, it's probably under value because like the guy has no idea how to play football or like you know what but like it's just you know swing for upside is just targeting freshmen that are going to really weak you know rooms you know go taking a running back like caleb hampton who's going to stanford this year pretty good athlete but not like uh, he's not elite by any stretch of the imagination on that front stanford like Colin, who's the starting running back at Stanford this year? <laughs> um, probably Cameron Scadabo, the transfer from Sacramento State. Scadabo's Arizona State. Oh, yeah, that's right. Arizona State. Yeah. Uh, EJ Smith. Who's the backup? That's a great question. Uh, you don't know. I don't no. know either. The coaching yeah. staff probably doesn't know. That's the kind of stuff you're talking about, guys that can probably step into like a backup role immediately and maybe, you know, something happens to EJ Smith or the coaching staff the new coaching staff like doesn't want to run a bell cow. They, they do. Um, but assuming that, you know, maybe they want to, they want to rotate a couple guys and all of a sudden Caleb Hampton, Ooh, he's got a, he's got a 40 yard touchdown run on week 10 against, you know, Washington state. I don't know if that's who they play. And <laughs> like, all of a sudden, like, look at the, you just accrued like a ton of value. Like those are the kind of guys that I'm looking at late. I'm probably trying to diversify as much as possible. I know for some of you that listen to the show, you're only in one league. So maybe you're not diversifying, um, as much as maybe I am, where like in some leagues, maybe I take Caleb Hampton, the running back going to to Stanford that we just mentioned, and maybe another league, I'm taking Carson Hansen, who's running back is going to Iowa State. Um, that's a you know, what's that backfield look like? I don't think we really know. In another league, I'm taking Jamarius Haynes, who's a running back going to Clemson. Like it's Shipley, Mafa, and then, eh? <laughs> and both of those guys could be gone after this year. 
um, you know, just kind of looking through the, the the list of players here. So, I mean, those are the kind of guys where, like, I'll just take a couple of those guys here, a couple of those guys there, um, and then just hope that in, in at the next end of the next year, you know, they re- get recruited over there an easy cut. And that's fine. Like, you didn't really waste anything by doing that. The risk was worth it because the risk was minimal and the upside was was pretty great. So I think those are the kind of picks that I'm taking late. The kind of players that I'm avoiding, the opposite of that, guys going to like crazy crowded rooms and I, our perception of them is that they aren't as talented. I'm probably not taking a lot of quarterbacks that are like that late unless they're just like insane athletes again. Like a guy, like I'm thinking of, there's a quarterback in this class going to North Carolina, Tad Hudson. Mm. I think Tad Hudson is a fine player. Like he's what, you know, he probably, he could be a low end P five or a G five starter at some point in the future, but he's not so can't miss that. I have to have him and like, he's not going to play this year. The staff has been raving about Connor Harrell again this year. Like Connor Harrell is the next quarterback there. So like you're waiting two years for this guy. Who's like a low end P five starter. Probably like we think, like those are the kind of players where I think it's just kind of a wasted pick once you start getting late. Um, so like that's what like my cutoff for this year for quarterbacks. I have twenty three draftable players, and the kind of guys that are at the end are like uh, Israel Carter, who's like a, a, a crazy runner who's going to USF. He's he's you know he's he's really really athletic. Um, maybe a Johnny Shepard if my league is deeper. He's going to Rutgers, another guy that can run like crazy. Like I, is he a good passer? Not really. Um, like those are the kind of guys that, okay, maybe I take a swing on it and something can happen there. And, and I've ended up better than when I started out, but it's, it like, you just, you like, it's, you're looking for guys that aren't blocked and that have some sort of athletic upside. And that's kind of what I'm taking in those rounds. Okay. And then what about on the flip side of that with supplemental type players, what do you look for in a supplemental late round pick, a late round stash? You know, obviously you said don't project towards the future. So what are you looking for at the end? With I'll be honest. I'm not a CFF expert. I've never been a CFF expert unless I hit the lottery or CFF or C2C becomes so big that I can quit my job (laughs) and do this full time. I never will be a CFF expert. So I am a thousand percent just trusting our CFF team and going through their rankings and finding the guys who are available and taking them there. And again, probably diversifying across my leagues where I'm not going to put all my eggs in a basket of one specific wide receiver or running back or quarterback. But I, that's, I'm trusting people that are good at that to get me through those selections. I, I cannot do it myself. Okay. So are you geared more towards freshmen then late as well, like those freshman stashes, or do you still try to trust some other evaluators that you trust and look at at their rankings and take some supplemental guys late? It's got to be all roster construction dependent. You know, maybe if you don't have, you've got maybe two or three startable wide receivers and then a couple other guys that are iffy. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to hit a CFF option before I hit a Debbie option. But I, I think it's very, it, it's very, very roster dependent, very, very league dependent, very league setting dependent. You know, if I've got, if I've got unlimited waivers, I'll probably go ahead. I'll probably go heavier Debbie late, even if you know, the odds of those guys hitting is is very, very low. Um, but if I, I only have four waivers, you know, those are those are valuable yeah. things. I'm probably not trying to already go into the season like i have all these holes <laughs> i've got four waivers <laughs> that's probably not a great approach to it either if you really want to compete okay um all right well i think that's going to do it for like the the draft portion of it here but i do always like to end with advice so what do you think the hardest thing about navigating a supplemental draft is just in general I, th- I think it's knowing when to pivot back and forth between CFF and and stash options. And if you're really, if you really don't know, and we'll assume that your roster is equally set up for Devi as it is for CFF, you know, it's not tilting super one way or the other. I don't think there's anything wrong with this round. I take CFF. Next round, I'm taking Debbie. This next round, I'm taking <laughs> CFF. I have done that once or twice. If I'm sitting at a turn, I almost will exclusively do it late. I'll sit there and just go, oh, one Debbie, one, one CFF, one Debbie, one CFF. I'll just kind of do that late because I think, you know, 
the risk and cost is is minimal. But I think that's the hardest part. And I think, again, it's more art than science. And I don't think there's necessarily a wrong way to do it. There is a wrong way. And it's just completely ignoring the CFF side of things. I think that's really the only wrong thing you could do in that scenario. Other than that, build that roster, baby. Just do it how, however you want to do it. I think that's the fun part about this stuff. I agree. I definitely think that is the fun part about this is just one, making it your own to just kind of, I don't want to say flying by the seat of your pants here, but like I, there's an element that I really like about this where I go in with somewhat of a strategy and then it gets blown up real early and I'm just kind of trying to figure it out as I go. Like I like that type of problem solving. I, I think it's impossible to be like locked in in your supplemental yeah. draft like you are for like an nfl startup or even or an nfl a rookie, rookie draft or a rookie yeah. draft yeah exactly where you know what the range is that every player should go go in everyone is working off more or less similar information obviously some differing opinions can make the difference in those things but like there's no, you don't get to the twelfth round. You're like, well, the thing says that I should either take this guy, this guy, or this guy here, this thing. Like there, there is none of that. At this, so it's hard to just be like, you know, I was locked in for that whole draft, and I felt I was just like making the best pick every time, bro. Like it really is more <laughs> art than science, and you're gonna get a bunch of them wrong. And they're like, I think it's hard to get past that mindset. And then like, you once you kind of get to that Zen mode, where like, I half these guys won't even be on my roster next year anyway, and that's okay. That's what next year's supplemental draft is for. You just keep churning that roster until you find some diamonds that that you can turn into something. Exactly. Like more often, how many times do you, so typical supplemental drafts are 15 rounds. Mm -hmm. How many times do you have a team where you are taking a pick at all 15 of those rounds? It really varies by league. I've had some okay. leagues where everybody else is running out and I've got like eight roster spots left. And then I just trade like nothing for their last couple of picks because they can't use them anyway. And then I've had ones where I'm done by round 11 and I'm just kind of hanging out and waiting for people to send me the same, the same offers on the other end of it. That's one thing that people don't do that I think you should consider strategically doing. It's I haven't totally fleshed out the strategy and like how okay. you should know when to do it because you in most of these leagues, you can't make roster moves while the draft is going on. Like fan tracks literally won't allow you and the commissioner probably will want to come to your house and beat you with a baseball bat <laughs> if you do it too often. Um, not that I feel that way. I'm just speaking, you know, right, as, the, right. you know as this this general you know, nebulous idea of what a commissioner is. Um, but. I, like if you just got a bunch of guys on your bench and you're like, well, I can like I cleared out 15 and I've got like these other four worthless guys. I would look around at your league mates and see if they're if you're going to get to the end of the draft and they're going to have a bunch of picks that they can't use. And then I would consider just having 20 open roster spots and trading for team A's 13th, 14th, 15th and team B's, you know, 14th, 15th and just kind of getting more dart throws there. I think there's some strategy there that I haven't quite worked out yet but i know i would i know i would get chris moxley sign of approval because <laughs> i think we've talked about this before and i think it's something that we that hasn't been figured out yet but is a fun one if you can kind of figure out how to do it and assuming that your league mates would do that i mean there's no downside for your league mate like sure no. they're giving you extra 14th round picks but i mean you have to give them something in return presumably anyway so right right fun. like maybe you give them a ninth and you get back a 10th 14th yeah. and 15th yeah you know they're moving up and you're picking up some extra spots yeah I, that is something that I, I try to do at the end of the year like right before or like you know maybe around this time of year before supplemental drafts start up is i look at like okay how many players do i have moving on to the nfl how many players here do i have that i can cut and how many roster spots is that going to leave me total for this supplemental draft and then i will do something similar to like what you said there, where I'll either try to get a couple more picks. I'll try to move up in some spots, you know, that'll kind of flesh out the back end of my supplemental draft strategy. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a fun um, exercise and uh, I'll probably try to use it more this off season. Okay. Report back. You'll have to yeah. let us know. Aye. how it goes. Uh, all right. Last question I have for you. What is the biggest piece of advice you have for beginners who are about to navigate their first supplemental draft ever? 
Uh, oh, their first supplemental draft either ever because I have a yeah. good one for just a beginner, but doesn't. Okay, do well, it, take it, take it with the beginner, and then maybe as you're filibustering and talking, the the second part will come to you. My mind, I can't, can't, can't. Two trains of thought at the same time is too much. Um, as the one is, I don't. <laughs> you guys kind of covered it last week, you and Kane. Um, and apparently Kane made a joke about me being two inches, like. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned it off with like seven or eight minutes remaining, like at the end of the episode. Oh, you Apparently missed that. It it in like the final five. So I had to go back and find this now. Uh, Bruning told oh, it's me a, that, I think. Yeah, today. it's good. Um, it's good. I, yeah, I did not hear that. But um, I, you guys kind of like, I wouldn't, there are very few instances ever. And I think I'm a pretty good C2C player. When I'm doing a startup, I basically will never trade college for NFL or NFL for college. I think the, odds of you nailing it unless the value is just obviously absurd are so low and the odds of you messing it up are so incredibly high that you should never make those trades i i will never ever make them i think i've made some you know it's inc- inc- inconsequential like round nine and i felt you know i trade up for rashad bateman in the ninth or something and i'll give up a little bit of college um value but i think that's generally a recipe for disaster i don't think anybody including myself knows enough necessarily about those cross values to make educated informed decisions while you're doing it. So I, that's my beginner advice for supplemental drafts. Um, uh, just don't be afraid to get your guy. I think that's, and maybe if you don't have a guy, then your favorite tr- analysts guy, like there's not all sense. My, uh, your no, favorite analyst doesn't have to be me. If it no. is, I mean, then <laughs> smart and go for it. Um, but no, yeah. So go go get your guys. Okay. I think my biggest piece of advice is put your freshmen into tiers. And that's kind of where I'll base my when to pivot, when to not off of is like, like I said earlier, you know, I have, X number of tier one guys and X number of tier two guys. Those are the guys that I want to take in, you know, the early rounds, like the first five rounds. Once we get into like tier three, tier four, tier five, I'm less concerned with hitting on those guys because there's less of a gap between those players. So I think structuring your rankings in tiers, like, okay, how much of a difference is, where's the drop off? How much of a difference is it between these guys? How upset am I going to be if I don't get, Caleb Jackson from LSU and I end up with uh, Jeremiah Cobb from Auburn, you know, how upset am I going to be? Probably not that upset. So I like that tier, there's a lot more flexibility. So I, I, I like to put mine in tiers. I, and I will, I will close with this example of the, when this kind of stuff burned me um, the year that B. John Robinson came out as a freshman. I, I want to say famously because I'm not not that many people know me, but I think if you follow no, any famous. of this stuff and you know us, you know that I, before Bijan Robinson even stepped foot on campus, I said he's the best running back in college. And I was in an auction and the price kind of kept going up and up and up. And it's funny because in retrospect, um, probably mostly because of me, the prices on the premier guys have gone way up in the past couple of years because I've done this. Um, <laughs> the, the price kept going up and up and I was like, ah, I don't really know. Like I, I'll just skip and I'll go to, I'll go get my next guy. And it was Jameer Gibbs. Like I was, I ended up fine. I actually ended up trading Jameer Gibbs in a little extra for Bijan after that freshman year. But I regretted like not just getting Bijan and spending like the extra, you know, 50 auction dollars or whatever. So the next year, I spent like two thirds of my budget on Travion. Oh, Travion, I remember that because one. I wanted Travion. I was like, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice, where I got to go, you know, spend out the butt after year one to acquire this guy when I could have just done it initially. So obviously, picks are a little different, but I think at the end of the day, you will kick yourself if you don't do it in the moment. You really, really will. And I, you know, Gibbs obviously a fantastic player. And I really like Gibbs, but there's a a golf between. You know, Bijan, uh, Bijan, the only way Bijan doesn't work on the NFL is if he gets hit by a truck or like his, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about like getting hurt playing because that's going to jinx yeah. it. But like, th- that's the only way it doesn't work out. There are scenarios where Gibbs doesn't. So at the end of the day, like, just go get that guy if that guy exists for you, no matter within reason, the cost. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Well, that is going to do it for our supplemental show here. If you are listening to this, I have a supplemental article that just dropped, you know, kind of like an intro 
into what freshman and supplemental drafts are loose strategy here kind of some vague topics that we talked about tonight it is my one article a year so check that one out um look but, at you you got it done in, you got it done in march too <laughs> wow like that's now you got the rest of the year to just coast man i know yeah that was kind of what the what the thought was i mean you know may is going to be a very busy month for me uh so i could do it in that i don't know there's some something i got something going on at the end of the month it's not like a big thing but do we have what are we doing for your bachelor party like in terms of recording the show oh that's actually a great question yeah it's coming up in two weeks it is a great question we have not discussed that we might have to record it on monday or do we want to let austin and or uh, matt and felix take it take it over let them do one that is the like apocalyptic scenario. I don't I don't want to go there if we don't have to. Um because we'll never get the show back if we let them do that one time. All right. Begging to get on as a duo. And we've been saying no, no, no for a long Keeping time. Keeping them at arms. We, we might have to do that. We might have to do that. Interesting. Well, yeah, we'll 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 talk about it. We'll get we'll get something figured out. There will not be a lapse in the show. We will not take no, breaks. Never. We do not take breaks here. Some of us take less breaks than others. Hashtag right? addicted to the grind. Colin, yeah. <laughs> I will trade you job hours for the past couple of weeks, and I'll run the show if you want to do this. Well, the only caveat with that is, like, do we swap pays as well? Obviously not. Oh, okay. Then then, uh, then I'm going to pass on that one. Yeah, loser. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's going to do it for us here tonight. Austin, thank you for joining me on the show here today. For anybody who missed it at the beginning, my guest is Austin Nace at Debbie Dietz on Twitter, one of the co-founders of Campus to Canton and one of the hosts of the Debbie Debate podcast. You can find them on the Campus to Canton podcast feed and anywhere you find podcasts. But that's going to do it for us here tonight. As always, I'm Colin. And this is Austin. And have a good one.